Welcome back to the Freewheeling Podcast. I am Abby Mickey, and for like 20 minutes, I'm joined by Lauren Rowney. Good morning, everyone. And then for the whole podcast, we got the usual Amy Lauren Jones. Amy. Hello. Good morning. And Gracie Elvin. Hello. And 20 minutes of Lauren is all we need because she's so great. Oh. <laughs> yeah, we'll just have to pack all of her hot takes into 20 minutes. And then when she's gone, well, that makes me feel like we should shuffle around the run sheet and run about, talk about podium prizes before we talk about Strata. <laughs> that's fine. We can hold off. We can hold off. We want to get to the, the most exciting thing first. And I feel like we should just dive into it because we don't have any ads today, so we don't have to talk about anything. And I feel like I cannot get the final, well, the final like 300 meters, but the final 10K of Strata out of my head. It was such an exciting race. And like, look, I give Anamik a really hard time and I'm sorry about that. But I don't know how many people were watching it and saw Anamik and Kapeki ride away and thought the race is over. I'll go make myself a tea. Um, I I don't want to watch this play out exactly like it did in Omloop. And then we had those the group come back to them and it was just like fireworks after fireworks. And it was so exciting and just so incredible. And then I, I still thought at that point, I was still like, I think she's still going to win. And at this point, it's like, okay, that's a way better victory than if she'd ridden away basically solo. Because I didn't think Kapeki had a shot on that climb at all. <laughs> I don't think anybody did, <laughs> including herself. But then that final 300 meters where Kapeki was able to hold on to Van Vluten's wheel and then kind of outsmart her a bit in the corners and take that final corner and take the win was just like, I was buzzing for, for like a day afterwards. How composed did she look climbing seated? That was what really impressed me. These trackies and their, their amazing power that they can put out when they're in the saddle. Like so many riders, I'm the sort of rider who's like, I've told you before, like pretty much kissing the top um, the front wheel, which is a terrible climbing style. But like I, I just remembered thinking how we, we've said like Anamik sometimes really fights the bike and she was really fighting the bike. And then Kapeki, I think the whole race just looks super composed and so strong. Um, that's what really amazed me. And then obviously um, her tactics in that, that last corner were really cool. <laughs> But um, that, that's what struck me when I saw how composed she looked. I thought, wow, like this is her day today. From the, the reports from her team, like they, they were really backing her. So I think she really did come into this race with a, quite a lot of confidence and knowing that she had the form. And I can't remember where I read it, but, yeah, she knew that she wanted to try on that last climb. So I'm with you, Abby, though. I think no one else expected it, but I think she really wanted to try and the team backed her and I think that's super cool. But, gosh, it was such an exciting finale. But she just looked so good all day. Um, I think the third to last gravel section was kind of one of the first main Anamik attacks and then it all kind of came back together and then Lotta attacked herself then. So she also was away on her own for a little while in that last 25K. Uh and it just was so dynamic, that whole top 10, I guess, top 12 riders that kind of kept splitting apart, coming back together. So many attacks from lots of riders. SD Works had the numbers, but 
Lotta just looked so comfortable that whole time. And even if we were surprised by that final climb, she certainly, even before then, would have been applauded for how well she'd ridden. I mean, I think, like, as usually happens, ST Works came in with the strongest team on the day. And watching the way that they were racing, it really looked like they were going for either Ashley, Moomin Passio, or Kopecky. Demi was pretty... still looked a little bit off her game, um, like she kind of did at Omloop. Like, obviously still an incredible rider, and I expect that she's targeting later races later in the season, so she's not (laughs) really... It's not like any worry for her to not be crushing it at the moment but she was doing a lot of work at the front doing a lot of attacks and same with Chantal Vanderbrook Black she had that one attack before they'd even hit that third gravel sector when they were kind of leading into that that spurred a group that had um Grace Brown in it that I thought was a pretty good breakaway that was like a a breakaway of like nine that I was like oh yeah that's could maybe get away for a little bit before the the real fireworks start later in the race but but yeah the the way that Kopecky rode was just so incredible and I think because she had that that attack between the second and third gravel sectors she was able to go into that third gravel sector that had climbs of like 16 percent there's really steep climbs in that section and she was able to go into that and kind of go her own speed through the first part of that gravel section before the race caught up to her. And I think even if she hadn't done that, she probably would have been fine based on how well she she felt on the day. But I think that she also had a little bit of a cushion there. And she had she didn't have to follow any attacks in that section because she was already off the front. So I think that helped her a little bit. But it was the whole race from SC Works was pretty impressive. I mean, when we got to the the part where Van Vluten was off the front with Kopecky and we had that group behind that had, you know, all the people that we talk about. It had Kashini Wadoma, it had Cecile Utrip Ludwig, it had uh, Volering in it, it had Voss. It was like such an incredible group. And once they caught back on, it was like SD Works, as always, had the numbers. They had Ashley, they had Demi, they had Kopecky. So they had three riders up there and they animated the race so well. But one of the best moments for me was when the other group caught on from the back and Elise Shabby immediately attacked. It was just beautiful teamwork, just such incredible work from Shabby to, you know, she's suffering. She's just come back onto this group and she just immediately went to the front and attacked for Kasha. And I feel like one of the things that we talk about with Kasha is she's such an incredible rider, but she's just so often isolated and having Elise Shabi up there is just gives me so much hope for the for the season with Canyon Sram because that move was the instinct that it takes to kind of catch back on and be able to attack again. I mean, you're hurting so bad at that point. And I just love that. I love that so much. That was like one of the highlights of the race for me, I feel like. Yeah, for sure. Same. And we saw Demi do the same thing as well when her and Mariana got dropped. As soon as she got back on, she went off as well. I think she did it a couple of times in the final. And she was obviously spent from that, but she was just like, yeah, sacrificing herself for, for her teammates. And it worked. And meanwhile, as well with all of this, 
Anamik was closing all these attacks down pretty much on her own every single time. And it's kind of like the key, right, to, like, everyone sort of watches the races, watches her win, like, seemingly pretty easily every time and goes, like, oh, my God, how do they even beat Anamik? And that's how. Yeah, yeah. The, the All the teams really came together and really did a great job of working as, like, a unit to, to beat Anamik. And she still was the she was the second strongest rider on the day but she did had to cover have to cover every single one of sc works attacks and it just chipped away at her and chipped away at her and it was just it was just perfect it was it was so good and i think also grace brown i was talking to kasha yesterday and she said what what broke her legs in the end was actually grace brown hitting the front going into the base of the final climb she st- she went in like full sprint lead out. It was a huge turn by Grace. <laughs> she went on for so <laughs> yeah. long. I was yeah. And she she said like Kasha said usually they go into the base of that climb and everyone kind of eases up a little bit because they know what's about to come. <laughs> but Grace just like freaking drove it into the bottom of the climb and Kasha was like I I now can't recover from all of the attacks that just happened, and it was just it was. If it if Sile had the legs, it was just the most beautiful move from Grace too. I mean, it was like across the board. I was impressed with teamwork across the board. Like even Movistar did an incredible job of bringing that break with Grace Brown back with uh with Odbianik. Like the the whole basically twenty k to go. It was just my one kind of question around Movistar maybe is that they did like a full-on lead out for enemy going into one of the gravel climbs, which lost them like two riders that she maybe could have done with in the final, which obviously they had to take a risk and it just didn't pay off. She didn't get away, but. I think they were expecting Anamik to be able to like do her usual Anamik attack and get away on, on that third gravel sector. And it just, she just didn't have the kick to get rid of that group, which is awesome because it means I think like if you look at the composition of the group of 12 going into the base of the final climb, it was the biggest group we've ever seen going in the bottom. The only other time we've had a group this big was in 2017 when Lisa Longborghini won. But at that point, like Lucinda was off the front already and they, there was like, just it had just been at back attack attacking back and forth between Shara Gillow and Lucinda uh Brand and then there was a group of eight that went into the bottom so that was the only other time we've had kind of a group go into the climb together and I think if you kind of look at this group and you look at who was in this group I mean it's a great indication of who we're going to be watching for the next couple months throughout the classic season or when the hillier races are happening, Flanders and the Ardennes and everything. And also just that the Peloton is getting deeper where the, the riders who are, who have always kind of been just a step below Van Vluten and Van de Bregen are, are taking steps up at this point And they're going to be able to be challenging for that win because like we've, it's always kind of been this game of one or two at the top and then this group below. And that group below looked so good at 
like all race. And another notable mention to the youngest, I think, in that group was Sharon Van Anroy for Trek. She did a pretty impressive ride in support of Elisa Longo Borghini and arguably was riding better, in my opinion, but just didn't have quite that experience, that knowledge and experience. I think she made a couple of mistakes here and there, but, you know, like to be in that select group closing in on those last couple of gravel sectors and she she did help Elisa. So I think that was really interesting and someone to watch this season and going forward. But, yeah, I think that was the biggest group we've ever seen go into the final of Strata. And there was another cross rider in that group for a while. Um, Yara Castellan. Yeah. 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 I mean, she did really well. Yeah, for Planta Pura. Yeah. No, and I think, um, well, Abby's actually written the notes. Sylvia, I'm going to say it wrong. Pasico. Pasico. There we go. Yeah. Yeah, for your Valcar. Yeah, we had those three riders, young riders that were up there, which is super exciting. And I agree with Gracie. I was just so impressed with Sharon on the day. Just so, so impressed. And I think Aliza's still getting there. But with Trek, when you look at Trek right now, there's this gaping hole left behind by Lizzie. And what made Trek so good the last couple years was that Lizzie-Aliza dynamic. And without Lizzie, Aliza's kind of left out to dry a little bit. And so filling that gap is super important. A rider, just like Kasia, a rider who's like a top rider, who's always in the same group, who's always with the same people, but never has a teammate. It's just so challenging to win at that point. The odds are stacked against you. And Aliza is in that position now without Lizzie. So if somebody can step up and be there, then that just makes it all the better for Trek. And I think Shirin proved this weekend that she has the potential to take that responsibility on. And so that is super exciting. They're also, I think, also missing Ruth is a little bit. because yeah. she was. I think um, as well, uh, Ellen van Dyke is riding so well. I know she she just won the tour in the Netherlands, but like. Sex toy tour. <laughs> which you'll get to. She she could have played a really big role, I think. If you look how long, you know, Chantal Black, I mean, she's won this race. She was in there. And um, she even did the whole getting dropped, coming back and attacking. Um, but, yeah, Shirin rode fantastically. Um, is still a young rider. But, yeah, I think moving forwards towards the, the rest of the classics, um, Elisa is probably only at like 90% at the moment and is probably targeting the Ardennes um, because you just can't hold it. That's my question for Kopecky is she's flying. Like what she did on Saturday was an incredible performance. So, I mean, she's going to have to probably try and hold it for, what, one more month until Flanders? Yeah, through Perry-Roubaix, mm-hmm. I think, would be her. Yeah. But Flanders, she could win Flanders. She could definitely win In that a number of ways. And Belgian I know champ. that she said in a Dutch interview that, you know, she's been focusing a bit on body comp- composition and you can see she's leaned out a bit more. Um, then a few years ago, she is getting older as well. So you drop that puppy fat, which we've spoken about when you're in your early 20s. Um, I'd be curious to see how her sprinting goes now because sometimes when you start climbing as well as she is, that top-end power, you know, something has to give way. So I heard from inside sources that the reason that Rusa, like Rusa was 
fully pulling the front of that chase group in Omlu Pet Newsblad to get Kapeki to the finish first. So I think that she's still confident in her sprint. Um, well, Kapeki is, but yeah, that's kind of that's that was kind of interesting to me. I was talking to someone who was in the race, and they were like, "No, she, like we weren't working because." Rusa just completely took control of that break and was trying to pull it back solo. Well, when you see how she's riding now, she would be, I mean, already last year, she was one of our our favorites for so many races. She was climbing like a boss in the Giro, which I never would have expected. She finished really high up there. Um, For the Ardennes, she'd also be quite good. But again, if you're flying now, um, you sort of have to pick and choose. And I'm guessing Demi is probably also at 90% like Elisa. So there's some riders who just can't, aren't quite there. And I would argue Cassier is probably the same. I mean, we saw Elisa last year come into the season really hot and then kind of fizzle by the Ardennes. She'd started fizzling already. Um, like she was just on another level at Gent Wevelgem and a trophy Alfredo Binda. And so, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Elisa's kind of like taking that note <laughs> and going into the Ardennes, which she has, she is a favorite for, and restructuring how she takes on the season. Plus with the Tour de France, that's gonna, I mean that there is a break between like the, all the classics and then, so there's a chance to kind of take some time off and rebuild. Um, but it will be interesting to see if that changes anything for how riders kind of Anything else? Anything else about Strata? I just want to talk about the last few hundred meters. <laughs> it was so good. But, like, I think, Abby, you said that Lotta tactically was really smart, and she was. But I think Anamik also knew she had to be in the front, and they were literally, they did three sprints before the sprint. And yeah. <laughs> I think Lotta, the best thing that Lotta did was come around Anamik straight away after they finished the climb because I think Anamik didn't even, she, she she was a little bit almost surprised that someone was still with her, especially Lotta, and she didn't react quick enough, so Lotta got around her straight away and then Anamik overcame her once and then they sprinted again and then they sprinted into that final corner, which was hectic. They nearly hit the barriers. Like that was, <laughs> I was on the edge of my seat just going, oh, my God. And then, yeah, obviously thought it was, she could have, yeah, she she had bike lengths by then at the finish line. But they were going, both of them were going full gas in all of those corners. <laughs> Anamik had to like slam on the brakes and go, she she was like had a wobble there going into that final corner. I was like, oh no, yeah. <laughs> please don't. So I think Anamik actually, you know, wasn't tactically bad. She just couldn't match the, the those two sprints before the sprint. Like I think they were battling it out for that whole time, which made it super exciting. I mean, that was a pretty, do we not think that Lotta did that on purpose going into that final corner? Even if she didn't, like that was a pretty good move. It was a really, she said in the post-race interview that she watched the race, the race from the men's race, um, which can often come down to multiple riders going to finish. The women's, it's usually over halfway up the climb. There's someone's gone solo. Um, But for the men, she said she watched the finish and she knew. She knew that the final corner, it wasn't the finish line. She had to win in the final Mm. corner. And then Mm. there was 
like not enough time and it's kind of a downhill so it's really hard to get up to speed on that part so she was like I just have to win to the final corner and by golly did she do it the the inside line to force Anamique to the outside was just like textbook final corner nonsense yeah it was brilliant masterclass. and she oh man she just looked so excited and it was just like so incredible and yeah it was great <laughs> such a good race I woke up the next morning and I was like felt so sad that I couldn't watch it again <laughs> I was like oh man it's over <laughs> this race is just such an awesome race every almost every year we it's just so exciting it's so different the gravel makes it so different it's just such a unique it's never been boring never there's never been uh, a boring edition of Strada Bianchi I mean, remember like what 2019 and 2017, the two years that it was just like pouring rain, just miserable. Mm. Yeah. I raced one freezing of those years. They start so awful. early. Yeah. Can, even though it's Italy, it can be extremely cold that time of year, huh? <laughs> yeah. I think the women were lucky though this time that they were earlier because those wind gusts for the men's race were mm. pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. That looked really nasty. That. <laughs> That one wind gust that took out like half the peloton in the mountains. Um, I better jump off. Lauren, thanks for joining us for a bit. Thanks for having me, even though I feel like you guys really debriefed that extremely well. Sometimes I still feel like I have baby brain, but enjoy the conversation and I'm going to listen back the, the, um, the chat about the prizes. And Abby, if you want to share that photo that I took from um, the children's store in the Netherlands yesterday, maybe it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> all right bye bye, bye it's awesome that we got to see like 50 kilometers worth of racing and but i'm curious how much action happened earlier in the day because it sounded like from talking to people who who were racing that for a lot of the day they had a pretty strong headwind and so there was a lot of hesitation for there to be action in the beginning of the day. And we saw two riders go off the fronts and kind of have a little bit of a long breakaway. Um, except that the, the Uno X rider got dropped pretty easily, pretty early. So it was just kind of Emily Newsom out there riding on her or lonesome. But then once Emily got brought back and the live coverage started, they still had a pretty strong headwind. I mean, it was the peloton was kind of creeping before the action really started as the as the road started to kind of undulate a little bit before that third to last gravel section. It was um, it wasn't like it was a super fast race at that point. Yeah, I don't think we missed a whole lot from the sounds of things. And the real like the big guns didn't really start coming out until what like 30k to go or so we we only missed a, an attack by demi bullering on the san uh Mar, marino de Grin, i can't pronounce i can't remember what it's called but the really the longest section the 9.5 section mm -hmm. i do love the the lead-ins because it's much like the cobble classic races the lead into sectors is exciting because it's a sprint to the start of the sector so I wanted to see some of that, but I don't think we missed too much tactical action, but I think it's just such, it creates the context to the rest of the race. So I hope that we get to see longer versions of the more exciting races like Strada and Paris-Roubaix. Well, we got like 50K instead of 20 or whatever it's been for the last few years. 
And we were skeptical about whether or not it was actually going we're to just, be live coverage. We have every right to be jaded about this. <laughs> All right. Should we talk about the other races that were going on? We had a midweek, mid-week classic on Tuesday with Les Samin, won by Emma Norsgaard. A pretty good race. It was pretty aggressive in the finale. There were some questionable tactics from FBJ. Uh, we saw Alice Barnes on the attack, which I thought was really interesting because I would have thought that maybe she would be their sprinter on the day. What do we What do we have to say about Lost Men? Anything? Anything really other than like awesome that Emma Norsgaard has already won a race this year because this was when she was in her string of second places last year. Yeah, she's um, she's a super talent. She'll she'll have more than one win this year, I think. <laughs> but with with Grace's long attack, like. You just kind of wonder if she was using it as more of a training opportunity. <laughs> I did get that impression from from her at this race, but also at Setmana Valenciana because she went on a super long attack on the third stage, fourth stage, on the final stage. Mm. And I was kind of like, I think she's getting ready for bigger things to come. Yeah, like obviously a very good opportunity for her to try and take the the race win. But I think in general she's not like super disappointed if it doesn't work out because – it's pretty good sharpening of her sword coming into the, some bigger goals and strata. She she wasn't particularly targeting strata, but she's certainly coming up into some really good form now and she did a really great job. So I feel like she ticked a box at some in to get ready for strata and the rest coming up. I mean, she's already proven to be a pretty big asset for, for FDJ, I feel like, because she's her her lead out into the climb in strata it just is it, it kind of indicated that she's like totally happy working for a teammate which i think she would have learned at bike exchange the last couple years and that's just something that i think like sile and cavalli butt heads a little bit when it comes to working as a unit and having grace thrown in the mix it's it's promising. It's promising for that team to really deliver some really epic results. I'm, I don't know why Cavalli wasn't racing, but she was there. She might be injured or something. It was great for the young rider, Vittoria Guazzini, to get a run on the board. Just, It's always good for team morale to get a podium and get people excited for more races coming up sometimes. If you just just off the money, you just feel like you're banging your head against a brick wall and it's tough to keep going, especially in the spring classics. They're just so hard. No, I'm just I'm so impressed with um, Guazzini because I actually interviewed her just for Christmas and she literally, so she crashed in Roubaix and broke her ankle in two places, I think it was. And she had only just got back on the bike in early December and she was at a team training camp where like she couldn't, go and do the full rides with the rest of the girls she was kind of doing an hour and turning back so like she's built a lot of fitness in a very short space of time to to get these results so yeah I'm impressed with her she was very nice to talk to as well I was confused about the dynamic between between FDJ because we had Guanzini was off the front right yeah no and then Clara Capone like really started the sprint like she she basically led Emma out and the gap wasn't huge to them at that, the two riders out front at that point. Like, I don't know if Guanzini would have been able to hold it and win, especially because Emma came with such speed 
into the sprint. But there was still, when they had the overhead shot, there was still a big enough gap that, like, anyone else could have started that kick earlier. And it didn't have to be the teammate, her teammate. And then for Guanzini to still hold on and finish on the podium, I was like, (laughs) I wouldn't want to be on the FDJ team bus for the debrief of this race. Although I don't get the impression that their team management is too strict. So I don't think that anyone would have gotten like a talking. Is that the issue though? Yes, that is. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) it's like they can't, it's like someone's scared to say like, you're the leader today just you everybody else is working like do you know what I mean it's like no they never go all in for one like it's they're taking up this Movistar mantle aren't they a little bit I hate to rag on them but like this it just looks as if they never put in their full faith in one rider they do sometimes because they did they did for Sile at the um Ber- at Vuelta a Burgos last year and she won last so year but that's do, since it, they've adopted this because they had these pre-season press conferences where they're like we have four leaders this and then they put all four leaders into one race and you're like right then no definitely and but I think like what's interesting about teams and team management and everything is SD Works has the same thing where they go into a race and they basically have of a six rider roster they have five leaders and they're still able to win with any of those riders because they've got Danny saying like, remember last year, I can't remember what race it was, but Ashley Moore and Passio was in a two-up break and she got told to stop working so that she could, like, she could probably have won, but they had their fate, they had their leader for the day. They knew who was, I think it was Demi that, I can't remember, like, my memory's shit, but, like, essentially, they have someone who's, like, willing to say, like, no, I know you're good enough to win, but, like, your job today is not that. And I don't think that FDJ have have that going on maybe i don't know gracie knows more about like inter-team dynamics in these top teams i don't know do you have any thoughts uh, i think in general you can't have multiple leaders but sd works is and trek maybe not is the exception if you have the cream of the crop you can get away with it and mm-hmm. play off each other like the dutch do at world championships <laughs> um but otherwise, in my opinion, it's a big no. And for for a team at the level of FDJ, it's a big no. All right. So we also had, it's pretty rare that we have two live races for the women on the same day. <laughs> and we had the, the easy toys. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm just going to, I'm not going <laughs> to. Friesland Tour. We're just going to call it the Easy Toys Tour. I mean, they're the ones that have got the publicity anyway, let's face it. Man, they got so much publicity (laughs) (laughs) for their podium prizes, Um, which the race itself was pretty exciting. I mean, the TT was, uh, I feel like, a very telling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Ellen Van Dyke took her first win in the rainbow jersey in the time trial and held on to that general general classification lead through the entire three-day race. The second two days were both kind of sprint finishes. And what was really impressive, well, I was excited to see how Rusa and Ellen would stack up against each other in the first TT of the year. And Rusa... Not only did she not beat Ellen Van Dyke, she came in third behind Rihanna Marcus from Yumbo Visma. Like, what a ride from her. 
Yeah, super impressed. And Katie Archibald fourth. So we got another trackie over on the road doing awesome stuff. But the first day really was um, was marked by some pretty glaring safety concerns uh, from from the race organizers. I mean, we had like Letitia Patanoster have a truck pull out in front of her mid race. It was there was like people riding townie bikes on the course all the time. Uh, it was, yeah, pretty, pretty terrifying to watch, honestly. Amy, you wrote a piece about it. Yeah, I did. And there were, yeah, there was people riding bikes towards the riders who were on doing the time trial. Like it was a bit of a, yeah, it was a whole mess, but it just kind of feeds into this thing. I'm sort of monitoring like the lack of safety basically in like lower level races at the moment and like it seems to be that in those in like 2.1s or or 1.2s that the the second tier or lower level races that safety kind of gets pushed aside a little bit or like people don't it's not as like essentially the level of the race shouldn't determine how safe it is and that seems to be happening quite a lot on both the men's and women's side. The, the race organisers said something about, um, well, we did our best and this still happened, therefore we will never be able to run a time trial again. And that was also a <laughs> Very <weird> dramatic. statement. <laughs> time <laughs> trials are well, off the cards forever. Sorry, everyone. So other, there's also other races that do time trials fine, so <laughs> I don't know. Because usually this tour is actually quite safe, so it was surprising. Yeah, I I don't think they've had issues like this before this race. It's been around for a really long time, this stage race. And I was surprised to see so many issues with the TT, but it's also a matter of course. You can put a course in a non-residential area and it's easier to control the traffic if you they had it like going through residential streets with driveways (laughs) at that point. Like it's really, really hard to monitor all of the cars coming out of the driveways at all times when you've got riders going off individually for multiple hours of the day. If you put it on like a County road where there's only two intersections, it's way easier to monitor that. So I feel like, yeah, the, the racist statement was pretty dramatic and they could have just said, we made the mistake with the course. Next time we'll do it on a quieter road. <laughs> but then, okay, so the next two days, we had sprint finishes. The first one won by Lonica Unikin of SD Works, and the second one by Rochelle Barbieri of Live Racing. It was a it was a race. The um the the reason that it got so much coverage <laughs> over the week was because Easy Toys is a sex toy shop in the Netherlands and. Ellen Van Dyke got a just incredibly useful <laughs> packet of <laughs> of toys on the podium, toys of things that I, I still don't know what what the socks. What were the nobody socks knows that is mm. play socks. maybe we should hit play socks. What does that even? Maybe we should hit up Easy Toys and ask them what are your play socks mm. for. I think that'd be a great sponsor for this podcast if we didn't already have a good. Sponsor in Swift. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. I mean, the funniest thing was like Ellen's 
<laughs> Ellen posted that photo and got just like so much traction that fo- the photo of the box that she got. And then the CPA with their statement about the safety, they were like, and like, and the podium prizes were unacceptable. And we're all just like, wait, why? A lot of people were saying stuff like that. A lot of people were like being all pill clutchy about it. And so of- I'm, I'm not against the prizes, but I do think it's not appropriate for this race or for any race. I'm, I mean, like. I, lo- I would have loved to receive that as a prize, but o- overall the optics of it, I understand why they did it and I understand the ethos of the sponsor and the company and, you know, the healthy ageing brand as well. But just overall it's just not quite right and maybe the men men cycling would never receive a prize like this. It's just... They also wouldn't get vacuums though. I just think, like, when you consider that random shit that people get as prize money as prizes sorry in other races like it's just I, I don't know I think it's it's maybe a bit out there but I, it's also as well because a lot of people are saying to me like oh but like what if she wasn't comfortable and I was like well she didn't have to like stand on the podium holding a fucking gigantic vibrator like it was a box that <laughs> was quite discreet like you couldn't really she was the one that decided to post on Twitter like what was in it because she saw the funny side and I actually, I don't know, like, they, maybe they should sponsor men's cycling too, but I just think it's kind of, well, actually, I'm going to read a tweet from Kristen Faulkner that I thought summed it up quite well. She said, if a man were rewarded with great sex for winning the race, I'm sure he'd be stoked. When it's a woman, it becomes awkward. We talk a lot about gender equality, but the way we react to situations like this determines if we perpetuate or eliminate these double standards. So I just kind of think like it started a conversation because I think there is a lot of taboo around women's sexuality. And I think mm. I just think it's good that these, I mean, it's also cultural, like Lauren alluded to earlier, I think maybe in Holland, they're a little bit more free and easy about talking about these things or yeah, I don't know. I just think there's, it's a conversation that's been opened up that's worth having. And I don't, I don't think people need to, get the knickers in a twist about it if Ellen no. thought it was funny I don't know fair enough like I'm like sure. I said like if someone was had had to like literally stand there on the podium with like play socks put them on and be like hello but like um that's one thing like sort of forcing it on someone to sort of pose with that if they're not comfortable with that sort of thing but if I just don't think that in itself. How is it any worse than a live pig? <laughs> For example, I don't know. I'm sure like some of the more uptight countries like Australia, America, Britain, where I think we're all a bit more prudish. So I think the European countries are a bit more open about that stuff. So I'm sure a lot of the reactions were coming from some of these outside non-European countries. And it's certainly a better sponsor than alcohol, gambling, smoking, and there's a you know bigger brands that are not exactly ethical. So, yeah, I don't know. Is it it's interesting? I kind of agree with both of you. I mean, I agree with Gracie that it's probably not appropriate for it to be a podium prize, but I but I also agree with Amy and like the grand scheme when you look at all the podium prizes that people get throughout the year, like a vacuum 
from, I think it's Drenta that has vacuum cleaners for the women. Now that's fucked. Right? That is the kind of thing when you say, well, men wouldn't get that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I think it's, I think it's, uh, I see the funny side of it and mostly because of Ellen's reaction. Yeah. I think it's one of those situations where if you're, if you're looking at the person who's actually in the situation and they're like, no, I'm fine with this, that you kind of have to take that into account. And the, the, um, larger implications and kind of reading between the lines of a, of a podium prize like this is all well and good. We can have that conversation, but I think in general, I just thought it was hilarious. <laughs> I just was like so entertained. Yeah. As soon as I saw Ellen's photo, I was like, oh yeah, this is going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> she got like I can one million impressions on it. <laughs> posted after yeah. it. It's like, wow. <laughs> Which is also a bit like of all the things. Tom's has gotten some very weird prizes. He got like bedazzled women's Converse shoes from a race in Italy and I was like, oh, did you ask them for my size? And he was like, no, I couldn't have exchanged them. This was the size they gave me. <laughs> I think I've said this on the podcast before, but the worst thing I've ever received was from the first La Course. It wasn't a winning prize, but I think it was like part of the welcome pack that everyone got. And it was a Tour de France um, branded kitchen apron. No, <laughs> no. The first no. ever Lacoste. That goes, that goes in with the, the vacuum cleaner. Uh, like, yeah. Just no. Really, guys? Really? I mean, there's some good ones out there. My engagement ring diamond is a prize from a race. Cool. <laughs> he like was standing on the podium and they just handed him like a a diamond. And he was like, I don't That sounds <laughs> like some sort of kind of underground. I can't <laughs> Yeah, we'll pay you with diamonds. <laughs> Don't ask questions. Yeah. So, yeah. so there's good ones out there, and I I just love that my engagement ring is a was a prize at a race. Pretty good. <laughs> it's story. pretty cool. Sometimes in Australia we have like winning sashes, like a big silk sash, and it's just fun to wear around the house. Sometimes makes me feel good. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have like a stack of them somewhere, Gracie? Yeah, that you just like kind of wear every once in a while just to feel fancy. Yeah, I feel like Miss Australia when I wear it. It's pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> Do you walk around going like this? Yeah. <laughs> I never got prizes. That goes without saying, but there we go. I never got any prizes. <laughs> uh, once won 15 quid for coming third in a crit. Congrats to me. Yeah, that's about as good as it got. Just wait. Sam. Sam's going to go win something and he'll bring you something cool. He better do. <laughs> he will. So we got, this is like, we're, we're, we've started the world tour season. We are, from this point on, we've got just like world tour one day after world tour one day. The next one is Ronda van Drenthe in the north of the Netherlands. And before that, they've got the Drenthe Act, the one day uh, kind of precursor. But Ronda Van Drenthe is this this really interesting race where they race up the trash heap. Um, oh, it's that one. And it is that one. <laughs> and there's often some crosswinds, and it can come down to, like, a reduced bunch sprint, but it's also been kind of a one, one by uh, solo breakaways. So more racing to look forward to. Will Human Powered Health field a full team? Will Roland Kogas, whoever, go to the race? 
yeah that, sorry to just open so- a can of worms like as you were trying to wrap up no i mean i think <laughs> i feel like we've it, we've we've really we've really been harsh on these two teams but then yeah when you look at the start list for the start list and the finish finishing list results the what? Uh, <laughs> i'm just not calling it yeah, Human Powered Health only f- only took four riders to Strata, which was surprising considering that they sat out of opening weekend. So in theory, their whole roster would have been available to them. Now, we don't know if they had a COVID flare-up within the team or something like that, but um, that, that they could only take four riders to the first World Tour race of the year as a World Tour team is a pretty disappointing look and then yeah only one of the Roland Kogas uh, Edelway squad finished to clarify I don't necessarily mean this as like I'm not slagging off like the, the team specifically I think there is a wider issue at play when it comes to the handing out of world tour licenses and the way things are, are growing I'm not saying like human part health is shit I'm just yeah me neither. Me neither. I think th- that the problem here is actually that these two teams were awarded World Tour licenses when there are teams out there that are would would be more capable of being World Tour teams but are not, uh, like Valcar, Travel and Service, the for Cold example. Wahoo. Yeah, so there's teams that, that would be able to take those licenses and do them justice, but having teams that can only finish one rider in the first world tour race of the year and only take four riders to this race, it waters down the brand of the world tour teams and makes it less prestigious. And so it's not that they're bad teams that like, there's nothing against these teams as teams. It's that did they, did they really need to get world tour licenses? Cause it you have to also be able to back it up you know speaking of the brand of the women's world tour now to just completely i'm just like throwing shit and seeing what sticks here um but <laughs> how sad is it that lotta kopecky now has to go into the next world tour race not wearing the belgian national kit but wearing the bloody pink leaders jersey of the fuck off yeah, and she could prob she could probably win Drenta. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I feel like my my pick for Drenta is probably Weebus. She won last year. She looked really good at um Armlet Van Het Hageland. And whenever she's in a race, DSM really commits to her. And when she's not the kind of flounder a little bit. They were they were I mean, they had their two top riders at Strata, Flirty Mackay and Leanna Lippert, riding relatively well. There was, like, one moment when Flirty Mackay attacked with, like, quite a long way to go that I thought, that is an interesting move. I would probably have saved that effort. Um, but, but yeah, they it they, they are it is an interesting team in that, like, whenever Weebus is there, they have just incredible teamwork. And then when... When it's like a multiple leader approach, as we've been saying, it kind of falls apart a little bit more, um, especially because Mackay and Lippert are really similar riders. But yeah, it's a bummer that Kopecky can't wear her Belgian national champion jersey, as we said last year or this year or at some point, at some point in the future, in the in the past. Like why why do we still have the? Why do we have the world tour? Especially with seventy-one 
World Tour race days, which are all very distinct. Like it's not as if, because it's not an overall, is it? It's not a series that one person, like, of course, Annemie has won for however long because she's very consistent, but. No, Vanderbregen won in 2020. Right. Well, yeah. Basically, style, what's the point? But, yeah. Get rid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that Belgian national team, that Belgian national champion jersey is just so beautiful. It is good. Yeah. Kasia said that when she when they hit the bottom of the climb and she was watching Van Vluten and Lodok Fecky right away, she was like, oh, it's Voss. <laughs> <laughs> because she could just see the yellow and black. So she thought it was Yumbo Visma and she was like, Yeah, I didn't I didn't think Kopecky was gonna win. <laughs> like she was riding really, really well. But still on that climb, like you just wouldn't pick her for that for that climb. Which like now looking back on it, it's like, wait, why wouldn't you pick her? Like, remember when she won that stage of the Giro Rosa in twenty twenty that was like a pretty similar mm-hmm. climb, mm-hmm. but just a little bit shorter? <laughs> but anyway, we can wrap it up. We can wrap it up. We've got Drenta coming up. We've got I mean, just like so much bike racing to talk about for the next couple months, which is very, very exciting. The, this is the best time of the year. It's the mo- no, <laughs> it really is. Are you going to sing no. a Christmas song? No, no, no. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> we can end the podcast with you singing a Christmas song. I think singing, I think Debbie needs to come that out would be for a singing. Debbie move? Yeah. Yeah. Not in the morning. We have a lot of interest in our, um, in our drunk. Oh, road commentary. commentary. I reckon we do it. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We will be back next week to talk about racing in the Netherlands. And yeah, have a great week. Mm-hmm.